It is Thursday, November 10th, 2022. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. Election madness continues. The Senate still up for grabs. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast. We're bringing news from a Christian perspective. Joining me as always, Trey Gons Phillips, Billy Hallowell from CBN's Faith Wire. What's going on, guys? It is Friday, Junior. I don't. I mean, this week has been a whirlwind of political chaos <laughs> oh, man. and consternation. Yeah. Right. So just another day. Just no, a, it's, it's, it has been a wild week, though. Well, um, yeah. Anytime you have a big election like this, it's just people are grappling with what's happened. They're either yeah. frustrated or elated or they're just confused. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we'll try to make some sense of it today. But coming up on the main thing, we're going to look at a national security risk we don't often think of. Something that China could be targeting, and this is an area that not many people are focused on. Caitlin Burke has the details on that main thing. But first, we're going to go through the news in 90 seconds. In Georgia's Senate race, Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock, it's going to head to a runoff, which will happen on December 6th. These runoffs occur when neither of the candidate can get to uh, 50% of the vote or more. There were less than 10,000 votes to count yesterday, and it, and it couldn't have been possible uh, to get Warnock over the 50%, so we're headed to a runoff. And Senator Ron Johnson held on to win his election to the Senate in Wisconsin. And at the time of this taping, Nevada, Georgia, and Arizona had not been called, as I said, because of the uh, runoff in Georgia. But this leaves Republicans with 49 Senate seats, and they'd need two of those last three in order to take control of the Senate. And Arizona's leaning Democrat, Nevada, has a narrow lead with the Republican just up by 2.7%. We will be keeping an eye on those over at CBNNews.com. Uh, President Biden spoke yesterday after the elections. You can check out reaction to his remarks over at cbnnews.com. Biden said that democracy doesn't happen by accident. We have to defend, strengthen, and renew it. Thanks to the poll workers and officials that worked into the night to safeguard our sacred right to vote and the millions who made their voices heard. Those are just some of today's top headlines. You can check out those stories and more over at cbnnews.com. So we're here, guys. We've had a day to let this sink in. Results are still coming in, probably maybe even some from the time that people are listening here to from the time we recorded it. Maybe even some more changes have been made, but uh, it's it's one of those things that's just going to keep going. Yeah, and I think we have to look at what is the broader narrative here. We don't know where the country is headed, and you're two years out now. I mean, basically 2024 has begun, right? So we are yeah. now looking forward and trying to figure out, okay, what, what is this going to look like? Are there new patterns forming that are going to continue? Or does the economy get better and everything improves? I don't know. I'm, I'm super interested to see what happens in the next six months. And I think, too, something that we saw last night, it wasn't the this enormous Republican blowout that we were all uh, kind of anticipating or that we were, a lot of us were were thinking was going to happen. But, you know, Republicans still made gains, uh, but Democrats held on to some some spaces, too. Uh, I think it just showed that we're even more siloed, maybe, and divided than we thought we were, right? Because in deep blue places, Democrats did well. In deep red places, Republicans did well. There was not a whole lot of crossover. It seems like we're just back in the same place we were. Yeah. Yeah. Eric Erickson wrote about that, and he had a very interesting piece kind of recapping everything yesterday and he talked about that exactly that we are just siloing ourselves into these if, if the election showed anything it's that we're just more polarized than ever right i mean the fact that 
Uh, we were talking about this, Billy and I, before we taped the podcast today about how a high number of people, I think it was 75 percent on all spectrums of voters, Republicans, Democrats, et cetera, said that the country's going in the wrong direction. So then usually when that happens, that means, oh, the people in charge kind of get booted out. But this time it seems like maybe people on the left are saying, oh, well, I don't like that they're trying to stop abortion. And then so they think the country's going in the wrong direction and that puts them in this silo. And then you have this other other group of people, maybe a lot of Republicans saying, hey, I don't like inflation and I don't like the economy being terrible. So they, they're going over into their silo. And so it's it's just a different dynamic than the, the usual traditional political divides we've had in the past. Right. And I think that that's the interesting thing, because when we talk about how divided we are, right, as a country, it's it becomes harder to look at those metrics and say, oh, we know what's going on. Everybody's just upset with Joe Biden. It's like, well, right. actually... <laughs> we all we might be agreeing. I might be agreeing with my far left, you know, friends and neighbors that the country's in the wrong track, but we have very different visions of what that right track would actually look like. Hmm. Yeah, right. We're, we're angry at the same person, but uh, you know, one side is angry because he's not far to the left enough. <laughs> and the other side is looking at him and saying, oh my goodness, he's so far left. So I think it's just, there's a failure to communicate too. And the, the more siloed we get, the harder it's going to be to reconcile that chasm that's between us. So I think ultimately it's going to come down to candidates whose messages really resonate with yeah. people, independents, conservatives, and even some crossovers. And I think DeSantis, if anybody, uh, he certainly prove that it's possible. Uh, it just takes it takes work and it takes finessing and having political messaging that's appealing right. to people. Yeah. And I think the DeSantis uh, and the Florida performances show that you can't just button this up in a nice narrative like, oh, they're just mad at Biden or, oh, they're scared of Republicans. Because remember, they were calling him Death Santis, DeSatan, blaming him for all the deaths during the pandemic. And then he goes out and wins in a blowout. So if you are a good candidate and can actually present a message effectively, you can still win. But the bottom line is, I think you do have to really focus on culture. So as Christians, you know, we can't despair if the, it didn't go the way you wanted Tuesday night. These elections can change if you change culture. So in your neck of the woods, in your sphere of influence, spread the gospel, spread the good news, spread biblical principles, and then then that will translate later uh, into the polls. We're going to go into our next story here. And the sexual revolution targeting kids continues. And Tennessee Republicans just proposed a law to ban trans treatments for minors. So what's in the bill? So if it's approved, this new proposal, it's called the Protecting Children from Gender Mutilation Act. It was just introduced yesterday morning. Uh, it would essentially, one, it would ban doctors from prescribing puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones for minors. It would ban trans-related surgeries on minors. Uh, it would allow patients and their families to sue doctors, hospitals, clinics, uh, healthcare providers for performing or providing any of those kinds of things if they're caught doing so. Uh, and it'll allow courts to impose a $25,000 penalty per each violation uh, of uh, of this law, should it become law. So what motivated this? What, what sparked 
the interest in lawmakers to kind of create this legislation. Yeah, well, I mean, a central motivation here, of course, as we've covered several times now at CBN News and at Faithwire, was all of this Vanderbilt controversy that unfolded a couple months back. So in September, the Daily Wire's Matt Walsh, he shared a now viral video, or several videos actually, uh, of doctors and medical personnel at Vanderbilt uh, talking about trans surgeries being, quote, huge moneymakers. He even showed in one video a woman from Vanderbilt seemingly explaining that Uh, medical staff there will give, quote, gender-affirming hormones and puberty blockers to minors as young as 13 years old. Uh, And then there's also a clip from November of 2019 that kind of made the rounds again at that same time uh, of a Vanderbilt University law professor. Her name is Dr. Ellen Clayton. She was talking to medical staff at Vanderbilt saying that it should, quote, not be without consequence should any of them voice a moral or religious opposition to performing trans surgeries, which certainly raised a lot of eyebrows and got a lot of attention from local lawmakers there in Tennessee who spoke out against what she was saying and, of course, against Vanderbilt for having this pediatric wing that just is, is there to turn out trans surgeries and treatments for minors. So what? how does this compare to kind of what, what Florida did in the Florida law? Yeah, so the Florida law, which was recently passed and is set to go in effect in about 20 days, uh, seems to be a bit harsher on doctors, actually, than the Tennessee proposal. Uh, It's similar in what it restricts uh, for minors, but the Florida law goes further by allowing for the suspension of doctors' medical licenses should they be caught performing these kinds of trans procedures or giving hormones uh, or puberty blockers to kids. Uh, Interestingly, though, the Florida law has a specific carve-out. Grandfathers and minors who are currently taking puberty blockers uh, when this law goes into effect or cross-sex hormones, uh, as well as those who are taking part in clinical trials. So those, those people will be potentially excluded from the consequences of the law, but otherwise it's very similar to uh, to the, the Tennessee law. It's something to note too, though, as we talked about just a few minutes ago, uh, Ron DeSantis won his 2018 election by about 30,000 votes. He won Tuesday night with about a 20% point margin uh, above his Democratic opponent, opponent. So from 2018 to Tuesday, what has Ron DeSantis been talking a lot about? A lot about this sexual revolution, about transgenderism, about targeting children. And obviously, it's really resonating with voters there in Florida. Yeah, and this is really going to be interesting to see how it plays out, because we've been talking about how Democrats use the abortion issue to motivate the base. You're seeing the same attempt on this issue, that it's trans rights, that it's anti-trans. If you if you're against this kind of thing, you're harming trans people. We'll see if that has the same impact. I mean, is it going to get people to galvanize and say, yeah, we need to defend these trans rights? Or are people going to be appalled at what they're seeing and move towards those who are um, fighting this stuff? Well, yeah. And, and we've seen those surveys. I mean, remember that one we've talked about numerous times now, 73% of voters saying, hey, we're actually less likely to vote for somebody who supports transitioning yeah. minors. And yet it wasn't talked about a lot in this election cycle, which is kind of interesting, right? It was talked about in culture, but maybe it needs to be a bigger part of the discussion politically. Yeah, well, I think it's a huge issue. Uh, we saw it with, uh, I've mentioned this several times, I'm in Virginia, uh, with our gubernatorial race last year, Glenn Youngkin, he won largely on two issues, education being the primary one, uh, and then the second one being 
uh, sexuality and this targeting of children. So I think it's something that resonates not just with voters in the in the blue or the the red bases, but it seems to have some crossover appeal with parents of young children who may be fine with transgenderism in adults. Like if an adult wants to do something to their own body. You know, we can have moral issues with that based on on our beliefs as Christians, but do whatever you want to do. But when you come after children, uh, I think that's a that's a whole nother ballgame. And I think there is potential for Democrats maybe to jump over to the Republican side on that issue. Well, and I just want to underscore again what Trey said. You know, DeSantis has made this part of what he's going yeah. to do. It's been shocking to people. And look at all the gains he had. I think it's important to, to discuss that because I do think a lot of people avoid talking about it because they don't want to be labeled. Yeah. and they're afraid. Yeah. And yet when you have seven in 10 voters saying they're not going to vote for those people and you haven't talked about it in your campaign, man, yeah. that's a that's, problem. That is a problem. And look, we talk about Christian persecution and I think you just have to be willing at this point to pay the price of whatever it's going to be. If you're going to speak God's truth. Already. Yeah, just, just persecute me. me. Just but but seriously, if you were saying nobody's talking about it. it. If you can't speak up on stuff like this, then what are you doing? You're letting society run roughshod over our kids. And do you want to stand and be counted as a follower of God who's going to stand up when it actually counts? Or are you going to shrink and hide? And I think we have to make that calculation and we have to count the cost and we have to go forward. All right, well, we're going to head on into our main thing now. And it is a national security risk that we really don't often think of. And there are millions of miles of these fiber optic cables under the sea. And China and others could be using them to harm Americans. So Caitlin Burke has the details on today's main thing. When you look out over the ocean, you don't often think about what's under the surface. But all over the world, there are millions of miles of fiber optic cables crisscrossing the ocean floor. They're not much larger than a garden hose, but they're responsible for transmitting up to 95% of global internet traffic. Fiber optic cables, uh, cables across the ocean are not new. We've had them since the mid 1800s, different forms, copper. But over the years, as data has become more and more important, as we've become a more digital, globalized world, more and more data uh, flows under the sea. As of 2022, there are approximately 530 active submarine cables running all over the globe. In addition to transmitting texts and emails, they also send confidential information like financial transactions and government communications. Without this tech pipeline, the internet wouldn't function and our digitally driven societies would grind to a halt. Nadia Shadlow, a former U.S. Deputy National Security Advisor, says protecting these cables and their data needs to become more of a priority. Anytime an economy is so dependent on, on um, infrastructure or a particular sector, uh, it becomes strategic, right? Becomes, it becomes a point of vulnerability. <laughs> So our adversaries and competitors recognize this. U.S. adversaries also recognize the cables themselves are incredibly vulnerable. Many people will be aware that the actual fiber optic is about the diameter of a human hair. Um, so there might be a, a couple of dozen fibers inside a cable, but most of the cable is basically to protect uh, the fiber, which is made out of glass. So it's very, very fragile. While direct sabotage could easily result in damage or destruction, Gavin Tully, an engineer and partner at a firm specializing in subsea cables, says this internet infrastructure is also at risk from fishing trawlers or even natural disasters. 
about 10 months ago, uh, there was a massive volcanic eruption in Tonga. And that uh, eruption created a lot of earthquakes and um, mudslides that cut all the cables to Tonga. So Tonga was basically without communication for weeks because the ash cloud also blocked the backup satellite. In October, cable damage near the Shetland Islands north of Scotland led to suspicion that an adversary might be trying to make sabotage look like an accident. That's because a Russian research vessel designed to survey the sea floor was reportedly in the area at the time. And it wouldn't be the first instance of an enemy severing a country's communications. During World War I, uh, England cut all of Germany's subsea cables, uh, which were telegraph cables at the time, of course, you know, some hundred plus years ago. Russia's war against Ukraine and this summer's Nord Stream pipeline incident served as a wake-up call for many of our allies. France proposed spending more than 3 million euros for ocean floor defense in its 2023 budget. Italy and the UK are also reportedly working to increase surveillance of their underwater cables. And Taiwan is now taking protective measures to ensure communications to the island aren't knocked out by a natural disaster or conflict with China. Here in the U.S., meanwhile, experts are concerned the government isn't doing enough. We need to develop a better public-private um, approach toward understanding when these cables become under, under threat, so to share information more effectively, um, to also probably fund more cable repair ships as well. Most cables running to and from the United States are owned by either telecom carriers or private companies. Over the past few years, it's been predominantly content providers like Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and Amazon investing in new lines. Shadlow says while the owners are ultimately responsible for security and repairs, the government should be involved as well, given national security interests. CBN News reached out to Google for information on how they protect their cables. A spokesperson responded that the best protection against disruption is having a variety of redundant network paths. That means they're not reliant on one single cable. So the idea is basically creating a global mesh of these types of cables so that if one gets damaged or cut, whether it's on purpose for sabotage or accidental or a natural disaster, it doesn't have significant effect on the global economy. Another vulnerability in our internet infrastructure comes when the data flowing through the undersea cables reaches land. It's at this point where the information is offloaded. The U.S. Office of the Director of National Intelligence classified the possibility of cyber attacks against cable landing stations as a high risk to national security. Finally, countries like China could use state-owned companies to sabotage parts of these undersea networks. Huawei Marine, for example, has built or repaired almost a quarter of the world's cables. Some experts already worry Beijing could have tasked them with spying on the data coming through. We need to be able to provide alternatives to countries and companies uh, that look to Huawei Marine for their components. Similar to the situation with 5G, right? We didn't like Huawei controlling uh, that infrastructure. While conversations are being had in Congress about securing our internet infrastructure, National security experts like Shadlow say no significant action has been taken. Still, the information sent through these cables grows more and more sensitive, becoming more enticing to our adversaries and more vital to protect. Caitlin Burke, CBN News, Virginia Beach, Virginia.
All right, and that leaves us with time for one last thing today, and we're going to head over to John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I think that's a good reminder today as we are so hyper-focused on politics over the last couple of weeks um, to not be afraid, not be you know concerned uh, about all the problems that we're seeing in this world because God is in control. Love that. And and that's what that's what we've got to do, right? When we're feeling that stress or that pain or that uncertainty, whether it's in our own life or we're upset about politics, we've got to remember that. It's such a powerful lesson. I think that passage, too, is a good reminder that peace is proximity, right? And what I mean is like your your level of peace is directly related to your proximity to the Lord. So if you're pursuing after him and you're studying his word and communing with other believers, I think you're more apt to find peace than somebody who's just dwelling in the news and just dwelling oh, yeah. in the heavy, dark and, and, and secular stuff of the world. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Couldn't agree with that more. Hey, keep fighting the good fight, but you know, rest at the end of the day. Don't let your heart be troubled or afraid. God's with us. He is with us. He's got a plan. His will will be accomplished. We can rest in that. We still are called to do certain things. So we'll keep doing that, but we'll keep resting in his sovereign grace. God bless. Lord willing, in that creek don't rise. See you back here tomorrow.